really the evolution of the restricted area, the charge arc or whatever you want to call it, has changed my philosophy around the rim because you just have to. Welcome to Hoop Nerds with Billy Kegler, presented by the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association. We talk to coaches, athletes, and more to learn from their stories and apply learning lessons to improve each individual and stimulate growth for your program, team, staff, and self. Follow along as we explore success and failure en route to improving the game of basketball. Before we jump in today, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. I've been associated with their products for a few years now, and I'm really impressed by their innovative and user-friendly shooting machines. They also are great people with tremendous customer service. It's no wonder why they have become the preferred choice among top programs around the country and world. I'm very grateful for their support of the show, Make sure to check them out at drdishbasketball.com and at drdishbball on social media. Be sure to mention WBCA when ordering your next Dr. Dish to save an extra $300 off any commercial purchase. Coach Regal, welcome to the Hoop Nerds. Hey, thanks, Billy, for having me. My pleasure. I'm excited to dive in here. So I want to start with some early memories of yours. Tell me about the first time you remember coaching and a memory that sticks with you from it. The first time I remember coaching a little older kids, right? Because we all work camps. And, you know, when I was in high school, I coached the, you know, the younger groups and did those type of things. But the first time I remember coaching uh, in an actual game was actually uh, when my dad was the head coach at Waukesha South, you know, Greg Monfrey, Julian Schwartz were on the team. And uh, he had me coach the team in, you know, this is really before AAU got really big. And so you played more tournaments in the summer with your high school team. And uh, I was coaching the South team in a tournament. I think it was in Waukesha, actually. And, you know, I remember looking back and, you know, trying to trying to make sure everything was going right. Substitutions, you know, it's going a million miles an hour as uh, as you're first going. And, you know, the key was keeping Julian on the floor because uh, he could score a little bit. But I'll never forget, it, you know, like I said, it was one of the first games I ever coached, if not the first. And Julian was, you know, drawing all the attention, getting hacked and, um, you know, not many falls are called in the summer. And, and I got teed up with the, in sometime in the second half and uh, we ended up losing by one. And I thought, I'm going to come off the floor and my dad's going to kill me. You know, first game, game ever coaching his squad, get teed up and lose by one. But uh, he was laughing about it. And I learned a lesson right there. You, you know, you got to protect your guys, but you can't get teed up in close games either. So, you know, that's one of the first ones I remember is, you know, whether you want to call it just a, camp coach, AAU coach, whatever it was, but that was one of the early memories I have, um, you know, and not an official standpoint, but uh, that goes way back, obviously, uh, to the early days. So have you gotten teed up since? <laughs> you know, I, I I really don't get that many technicals. I pr- usually get probably one a year. Maybe I don't think I've had more than two in a year, and and that's pretty rare. You know, early on when we were first starting trying to establish our program at Parkside, I was probably a little more animated and, uh, you know, trying to get after the officials and then kind of found my way. And I'm not uh, one of these guys that just harps on officials the entire game. I, I got enough worried about just trying to coach my own team. So um, it used to be when I, we were in our old conference, every time we went down to Southern Indiana and Kentucky Wesleyan, I was guaranteed to get teed up in one of those two games. But uh <laughs> nowadays I don't get teed up. Maybe I'm mellowing a little bit uh, as I get older. Odd how that happens. 
Well, let's walk me through your coaching journey and how it's led. You just mentioned that you, you know, you've been at Parkside for, I believe, 19 years. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yep. And I finished my so 19th year as the head coach. Walk me through, you know, your official co- coaching journey from where you started to your journey with your time at Parkside and you kind of how you mentioned mellowing over time and how some things have maybe changed from the beginning of your time at Parkside to what you're doing now. <laughs> well, from a coaching standpoint, so I, Coming out of high school, I went to UW-Stevens Point and uh, went up there, knew I was going to be part of a very good program with their NAI at the time um, and played a couple years there. And, you know, just like it's kind of like nowadays, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't playing as much as I'd like. So I, I threw my name in the old transfer portal, uh, which was a dial up phone and calling coaches that had recruited me more out of high school. But uh, honestly, you know, after two years of playing, um, I always knew I wanted to coach in college. And so really, I, you know, I, I transferred down to UW Platteville with the idea that I was going to be a part of coach Ryan's program. And um, it, it really didn't lead to any more playing time. It actually led to less, um, but I was going there to learn and, and just watch how he ran his college, you know, the college program, um, you know, the different drills we did, the preparation, all those different types of things. So, uh, you know, I played down there and then, it's funny, I, I was going into my fifth year of college uh, and had, you know, I could have played that last year and I just knew I was ready to be done. So um, I walked into Coach Ryan's office and I said, you know, Coach, I think I'm ready to be done with playing. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I go, well, I want to coach. And he literally picked up the phone and called uh, the local high school coach at Plavel High School, a guy named Greg Quam, uh, and said, do you still need an assistant? And Kwame said, yeah, I do. And uh, so he goes, I got a guy for you. Kwame goes, okay, click. And before I left his office, I was already a, a volunteer assistant at the local high school. So um, that, that was, you know, it was nice to have somebody with connections like that and coach Ryan. But uh, so that really started my, you know, my actual coaching. I was an assistant at Platteville High School, um, you know, only for a year. And then uh, Greg Kwame decided to retire. And so my first year, at, or I'm sorry, two years as an assistant. But, uh, you know, when I was there, Will Ryan was uh, a player. And, uh, he, you know, I coached him as an assistant his senior year. And then the, when, the next year when Quam retired, uh, I became the head coach at Platteville High School. And, uh, you know, uh, now Matt Ryan, uh, Bo's youngest son, was going to be a senior. So uh, that was interesting. And, and actually another kid named Kevin Landrum, who – uh, his son or his dad, Todd, uh, was going to be the next high school, uh, head coach at UW Platteville. Uh, those guys were both on my team. So that was uh, a little pressure to start the coaching career. And um, it was fun, though. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I look back on it and how I've been fortunate to be tied to, a you know, a lot of people uh, that are legends through the history of Wisconsin basketball, you know, and I, I always include my dad in that. He's one of the few coaches in Wisconsin history to win two undefeated state titles. And, uh, you know, he won 400 games in the hall of fame, but, uh, you know, I was, I was coaching down at, at Platteville and, and having a chance to coach, um, you know, Bo's son and Todd Landrum's son. And then, um, you know, when coach Pettigrew passed the thousand mark, I actually had lost, I lost two games to him, uh, when I was a high school coach. So I'm on that long, long list of people that coach Pettigrew has beaten uh, oh, and two there. And then I saw, you know, Chris Wettler is retiring and, uh, had a chance to coach against him as well. You know, those are two 
legendary names in high school coaching. And luckily I'm one and oh against uh, Madison Edgewood. So pretty happy with that. But, uh, you know, so that's where it started. And uh, I was, you know, got to be a head high school coach for one year. And then um, Rob Jeter left UW Platteville to go to Marquette. And that opened a spot on Coach Ryan's staff. And, um, you know, I didn't think I'd make that move that quickly. I, I, I liked being a head high school coach. Uh, but, you know, when the spot opened on the staff, how can you pass that up? So I go over to Platteville and I'm, you know, Coach Ryan's the head coach and Greg Gard's the assistant. So, you know, again, you talk about the ties throughout Wisconsin and all the things I learned, um, you know, the, the attention to detail, the preparation, all those different types of things that Greg was phenomenal at um, as an assistant, obviously, is carried over as a head coach as well. So, um, you know, th that's where it all started for me was, you know, in Platteville and, um, you know, at the high school and college level. And so I was there. Uh, and then Coach Ryan got the Milwaukee job. And, you know, I was hoping to go with him, but I still had a year of grad school left. So I stayed one more year as a graduate assistant for uh, Coach Landrum. And then I was looking for a full-time job. And, uh, you know, that's a scary time for all GAs is, okay, now what? You know, can I actually get a full-time job in this profession and uh, go from there? So um, a job opened up at UW Parkside. Uh, I was on the road talking to the Parkside assistant at the time, a guy named Dave Williams. And he said, I'm getting out of coaching. I'm going into administration. Uh, you should reach out to Rudder. And, you know, I'm from that area, from this area, um, you know, down near Kenosha. And so I went over and, you know, became an assistant for Rudder. And I was supposed to start really as a part-time guy. And it was July and the, the full-time guy took a different job. So uh, fortunately, I became the top assistant right away at the division two level. So, you know, I'd gone from assistant high school to high school head coach, D3 GA, uh, to D2 assistant in about five year stretch. So I was, I was pretty fortunate to move up that fast. Um, and then after three years of being an assistant, uh, coach Rudder decided to uh, become an assistant at Northern Iowa for Greg McDermott and Dave Williams by that time had been, it was now the head AD at Parkside and he hired me right away. And, uh, I guess the rest you say is history. I've been here, you know, I have three years as an assistant and now I just finished my 19th year as the head coach at Parkside. So um, it's been interesting, you know, you know, tying the names, of, like I never, I was at UW Stevens point between the two Bennett's, uh, but I actually had a chance to coach against Jack Bennett, uh, in scrimmages, never in a regular season game. So, uh, when I look at it, you know, someday when I look back at, uh, my time in Wisconsin, you know, I'll have a chance to really, uh, appreciate how many legends in the state of Wisconsin I got to coach against and with and um you know it's pretty special yeah absolutely there's huge names that have accomplished a lot of things throughout basketball in general not just the state of wisconsin so but i'm curious maybe an idea or theory that you had from them that you implemented at platteville high school or early in your assistant career that you changed now later and, and i'm curious what the rationale is behind changing something to do with your program doesn't necessarily have to be X's and O's, could be something personal based. I'm curious what the evolution has been for you. You know, from an X and O's standpoint, I, I think, you know, the, the biggest change in my philosophy was, you know, when you're on defense, you never left your feet. Okay. I mean, on the three point line, you stuck every closeout. 
when you came over to help, you stayed down and everything was, you know, we're going to take a charge and step in and do all those type of things. And um, I think really the evolution of the restricted area, the charge arc or whatever you want to call it, uh, has changed my philosophy around the rim because you just have to. Like you, you can't be on your feet if you're inside the restricted area. So now you do drills where, okay, if you can't get outside the restricted area to take a charge, then you have to learn how to go straight up and not try to block the shot and just, you know, don't get called for a foul. Because quite honestly, what I've seen since that rule has been implemented is you don't even have to jump straight up. You, you really can get away with a lot as long as you jump at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from my playing days, from my early coaching days, I just remember, you know, my early days at Platteville, or I'm sorry, at uh, Parkside, just screaming at my guys, stay down, stay down, stay down. And, um, you know, because that's, that was the way you took charges, you stayed down, you chested up and you did that on everything. And obviously there's still a place for that, you know, one-on-one post defense. And if you're the primary defender, but um, now you've got guys that you want coming across and leaving their feet and contesting shots at the rim and, and doing those type of things. So I think, you know, from that side of things, I think it's a little bit different. Um, and even on the perimeter, not nearly as much, but, you know, with the evolution of everybody being able to shoot the three point shot, there are certain guys that you just have to run off the line. And if that means they shot fake you and shoot a pull, wide open pull up, you know, when you look at analytics and, and go down that rabbit hole, it's just a, a wide open pull up jumper for some guys is a worse shot than a contested three. And so I, I think that's the. I would say from an X's and O standpoint, that's the biggest change because, you know, I, I'm, I just remember in my early days at Parkside of film sessions of just any guy that left his feet, that's what we were breaking down and, you know, calling them out and making sure they don't do that. So I think from a pure X and O standpoint, that's been the biggest change in philosophy. I, you know, offensively, I, we've really tried to stay the same. I mean, it, you know, we, we hope we have the personnel to do it, but, um, we love to play up tempo, you know, we love quick shots if they're good shots, um, you know, and that's a fine line. I mean, you don't want guys taking quick threes with hands in their face if they're a 30% shooter, but, um, you know, we have, we've tried to stay really true to who we are offensively throughout the years and, uh, you know, taking care of the ball, taking good shots, but also playing fast and a, a little bit loose. So, um, you know, that's, that side of the ball stayed the same, but, I think those are the big things from an, from an X's and O standpoint. And, you know, from a pure philosophy standpoint, again, you know, I hate when people call themselves old school, but I'm, I'm a little bit of old school, like early on, you know, guys had to wear, you know, no headbands, you know, you wanted their hair a certain way, you know, whether it's, you want to call it the Yankees or old Indiana Hoosiers or whatever it was. We're in Wisconsin. So we say Hugh Roberts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, same socks and team shoes, whether they fit or not, like that's what we're wearing guys. And, and now you, be, you know, I've just become a little more relaxed with it. it. You know, it's as long as they're playing the right game and respecting the opponents and doing the things that we ask, um, I've probably become a lot more, uh, giving guys a little, a lot more freedom to just be themselves and, and those type of things. So, um, and I think you have to be, you know, I think that gone are the days where uh, everybody's going to, you know, look exactly the same coming out as far as their shorts, their socks, their shoes, uh, you know, 
whatever it was, you know, when, when I was playing or in my early coaching days. As many listeners know, I spent over six years as a general manager at Just the Game Fieldhouse in Wisconsin Dells. I was able to spend time talking hoops with coaches like Tom Izzo, along with high school and youth coaches, in addition to meeting some basketball legends, including my childhood favorite, Sam Elke, who is in the WBCA Hall of Fame and High School Basketball Museum, located at Just the Game Fieldhouse, which is a must-visit for any true hoop nerd. They also play host to the WBCA All-Star Games and Coaches Clinic every year. Just the Game hosts over 70 basketball and volleyball tournaments annually and is a great place to play for teams of all ages and ability levels. You can't beat all Wisconsin Dells has to offer in your free time. The Fieldhouse also has two sister companies in Just the Game Impressions and Just the Game Live. Just the Game Impressions specializes in customized screen printing and embroidery and promotional products. They serve businesses, schools, sports teams, and more. Just the Game Live takes pride in providing affordable and simple live streaming solutions for venues or programs of all kinds. Inquire today for more information. For more info on everything Just the Game has to offer, check them out at justthegamefieldhouse.com. Sideline Interactive delivers digital and LED scoring tables and video boards that generate excitement in your gym and the ultimate game day experience for your players and fans. We provide you the blueprint and the game plan to generate $10,000 or more in sponsorship revenue every year. 95% of our schools generate enough advertising dollars during the first school year to pay for their purchase. Any school or college can qualify for no fee, no interest financing over two school years. We're ready and able to deliver your order to you within three to four weeks. The tables and boards can be used for any indoor sport, as well as watching game films, school assemblies, signing days, or any other event that is held in your gym. Visit sidelineinteractive.com or call 832-786-0302 to schedule a 15 to 30 minute live web demo to see our tables and boards in action and what these fantastic products can do for you. Or email sales at sidelineinteractive.com. A link to sidelineinteractive.com is in the show notes for today's episode. All right, I want to just touch base on one thing defensively because I'm curious about this. You talked about walling up at the rim, right? Create creating a wall with your hands up and leaving the floor. From a closeout standpoint, whether you're running them off the line or not, are you concerned with baseline middle, uh, left right based on dominant hand? Are there any things that you're doing from a closeout perspective to give your rotational player more time to be in a space to wall up at the rim? That's a great question because for the first month of practice, we really talk about taking away middle, um, you know, just, just so we're doing things, you know, the same way we're, you know, kind of pounding that into their heads. Um, and yet once we get into our season, we really are, we talk about strong hands a lot. Um, it, it just, you know, the great players can go both ways, but when you get to a little bit farther down the, the roster, especially of guys that can score, they, they become so dominant in one hand that we just feel like that's the, that's more important than like, there's guys that we would rather get to the elbow on a drive to their weak hand than beat us baseline to their strong hand. Um, it, it, so it, it just, you know, it's one of those things where we, we just adjust within the game, but I would say, um, we become more takeaway strong hand dominant um, than than middle or whatever it is as we get in more into our scouting reports. And that's something that honestly um, I, I would say we've changed that a little bit too, because it, for, for the last few years, we just haven't had a, a rim protector. 
Um, and so when you have a rim protector, you're just going get a baseline and let him come over and protect everything. Um, if you don't have that, guys just finish over the top of uh, if you don't if you're not there to take a charge. So I think we've made that adjustment a little bit, and it's a transition. I, I mean, um, you know, young players, people new to our program, um, you know, they don't understand. Well, coach, you know, you say no middle, and now why are we saying take away? Let's say his right hand, and it's because you know, this is even before analytics, when we were just breaking down film, you could see that when this guy went right, he's either, he was either scoring or he was creating a shot eight out of 10 times. But when he was going left, he wasn't as explosive. He wasn't making as many shots. He wasn't creating as many assists. And so it's, it's one of those where, um, you know, when you have veteran teams, when you have people that have been in your program for a few years, they really understand why we do that a little bit more than maybe high school kids coming in or transfers or, or whatever we're, we're looking at as far as first year guys. Yeah. So I'm curious about your scouting report. How much time for a game do you spend on a scouting report, a creating it and then b disseminating that information to your players? <laughs> um, we've always been a real heavy scouting report team. Um, I, I think, you know, that goes back to my days of uh, working for coach Ryan. You know, I, I just think about, how great Greg Gard was at creating a scouting report. And that's really um, where I got it from at the college level. And so, you know, for, for 22 years now, I've coached in a league that plays Thursday nights and Saturday afternoons. So to give you a kind of a typical week of, of what we go, we do is um, Monday we'll come in and introduce, you know, well, the scout team will come in early. They'll, they'll do their thing. And, um, Monday we'll go for, let's say our first hour of practice is just focusing on us, you know, passing, shooting, defensive drills, whatever. And then as we step in, now we start to introduce whoever we play on Thursday and, you know, their sets, their calls, whatever it is. Um, and then Tuesday and Wednesday is, is Tuesday's a heavy scout day for us. And then Wednesday, I try to, re we're really focused on ourselves with, we're still going against scout team and that, but Really, I'm more concerned about Parkside basketball and doing those type of things. So, um, and then so we play Thursday night, and then Friday is just a one day prep. And so, I'll be honest, how, like what I do during the week is I'm prepping for both teams. I, I'm watching film on both. If I went, you know, Wednesday, I'll I'll be just focused on whoever we play Thursday. But Monday and Tuesday, I'm watching film on both teams. And so, what I you know what I have to rely on is you know. One, I've only had one paid assistant my entire time at Parkside. And unfortunately, I, you know, one year I gave all the scouts to the same guy and I ran them into the ground. That was crazy to do. Um, so usually what I've had is we had a GA the last two years, um, but usually it's been the head assistants taken one of the scouts and a volunteer has taken the other. Um, and I mean, they, you know, I expect them to know all the calls you know, is, you know, understanding strengths, weaknesses, all those type of things. And, you know, when we, when we put the scout together, now it's synergy, it's so much easier. I mean, I remember, you know, breaking down film from VCR deck to VCR deck and you screw up one clip and you have to start all over again, or you had pause on, you've been working for three hours and, you know, you're like, oh my God. So now you just go to a, you know, you go to Billy Kegler, you pull 10 clips, boom, 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 here's the five I want. And, it's 10 times easier for assistance these days. So don't let them tell you that it's, it's more difficult than it was in the old days. But uh, um, 
So, you know, a typical scouting report, I want us, I want it to take from between 45 minutes and an hour. Like, you know, it's usually 30 minutes, maybe 35 minutes of talking about personnel, um, you know, showing set plays, talking about calls, talking about what they do on defense. Um, but then it's, you know, nowadays it's 10, 15 minutes of clips and uh, with synergy and the fast scout and these, you know, all the technology now, it, it's just so much easier. Like, well, now you talk about a player and you show three clips of them. And then you go to the next player where before you had to show all the clips at the end um, or realistically, it was the only way to do it. So uh, it, it just made things more convenient. And, you know, in this day and age, that's how kids learn, right? I mean, they want to see it on the screen, reading it on their scouting report is good. You know, we always want our guys to write stuff down, underline, circle, do those type of things. But we know that, you know, they're visual learners and they need to see it on film and, and be able to do those type of things. But um, we've always been a heavy scouting report team. Uh, clearly, you know, the more talented you are, uh, you know, you may be able to go into more detail, but you also know that there's a little room for air. Um, you know, when, when you're just scratching and clawing your way, you know, you got every, every little nugget you can give your team uh, can be the difference. And so uh, I, I think that's something that we've always taken a lot of pride in is how well we do on our scouting reports. No, I love that. And as, you know, as a former coach, I went crazy with those as well. And then finally you narrow it down to what works best for your team and your players. And that's what you roll with. Without a doubt. And and the thing that I've learned, you know, over the years too, is um, on those Friday games, I mean, it's one day prep, you know, I might've been watching film for, you know, 20 hours on a team, but our guys, especially if they're new, like, you know, you get in your conference rivalries and you have a bunch of juniors and seniors and they can basically run the scout team for you. Right. They, they know the calls, they know the plays, but um, when you have new players, again, freshmen transfers and you have a one day prep, you can't overload them. You know, you have to make sure they understand like, okay, these are their few favorite plays, or this is the type of defenses they're going to run, but you have to count on the stuff that you've done in practice. Um, you know, in the first six weeks of your season, really, before you play any games so that you're ready for anything, you know, different zones, different presses, um, how you're going to handle different ball screens. And and that's really changed, too. I mean, it used to be pretty basic vanilla on uh, the different types of ball screen actions. Right. And some teams didn't like we didn't we weren't a heavy ball screen team for a long time. Now everybody watches the NBA. And so you got ghosts and twists and double ghosts. And, all the, you know, all the terms that they've come up with, I think they just make up some of these terms, but uh, um, you know, so now you have to have about seven different coverages because um, we just have never had the personnel to switch everything. You know, I think if you're good at switching everything, you can do that, but uh, you know, we're that a lot of times that's the, you know, the division one, they all, you know, they have five athletes that can all cover ball screens where uh, D2, D3, you don't want your center getting switched on a point guard that can really go. And, um, you know, that's something that uh, th that's made it diff more difficult. Like, you know, when I first started coaching, it felt like you were always working on, you know, the swing up screen, right. And the, the flare and the back screen. And now you're, you're not working on off ball screens nearly as much as you are working on ball screen coverages and rotations and, traps and doubles and all those different types of things. So it's been, uh, that's been a big transition. I'd say over the last five years. Awesome. 
information there and everybody can look up twists and ghosts and double ghosts for themselves because there's plenty of YouTube uh, information <laughs> on it for them. All right, let's move away from X's and O's a little bit. And I'm curious with your team moving young boys into men, what's something that you do with them that you think makes the biggest impact for them moving into their adult life? You know, I, that's a great question. I, it's interesting because, you know, when you come in out of high school, um, you know, there's so many good high school coaches that, um, you know, put in discipline and put in structure and those type of things. But I think one of the biggest things that that we've done to help our players transition, not just as basketball players, but, you know, like you said, from being boys to men, is that just the structure and routine. And I know that sounds really basic, but when you go to college and you can, you know, you, you can stay up till one, two, three in the morning and hang out. And yeah, that's great if you're a general student. You know, you can go out on Thursday night and have a few cold drinks and uh, maybe do it again Friday and Saturday. Well, that's the life. But as an athlete, you know, the structure that you have to have and the time management, the discipline and, and all those things are are such basic things, but they get overlooked. You know, so what we've tried to do is just listen, you have to understand. And it's funny how it works. Right. Because um, early on in a kid's career, they think they can stay up till one, two and still have a productive practice the next day or, um, you know, after a Thursday night game, hang out, do whatever with, you know, with their girlfriend and, and think they'll be fine on Saturday. And then you see the, you know, the juniors and, and, and let's face it, at the division two level, we travel, you know, way more than the division three level, you know, division three, most of their road trips, they go to, you know, lacrosse, Oshkosh, Platteville, and then they go back the same night. We're, we're leaving on Wednesday and we're playing Thursday night in one city and then going to the next city and then Saturday, and then we're coming home. And what you see is with juniors and seniors, when it's bed check, they're in bed. Like it's, it's 11 o'clock. They're probably, you probably woke them up. Where freshmen and sophomores, they got the Xbox out or they're on their phones and they're like, oh, I'll be fine, coach. Don't worry about it. It's like, you just learn how to take care of your body. And um, I, I think that that carries over to just the discipline you have to have once you leave college. You know, it's one of those things where like when you're on your own, you know, you're going to work. Um, you're not staying up till one in the morning watching whatever. You know, you got to get up at 630 and, and be there and be productive. Um, you know, that's something that, again, it, it's as, it's a basic answer, but I think that's something that we've taken a lot of pride in is just watching guys grow as they have gone through our program of, okay, it is important, you know, like it, it's changed so much. I mean, literally when I was playing and again, that, that's a, a while ago, but you'd have McDonald's on your way to a game, you know, you'd drink soda, you know, the, the kids today and to their credit, like they don't hardly any athletes I see anymore drink soda, you know, it's all Gatorade or just water or whatever it is. And the nutrition part has become such a, a bigger part of being a, a successful athlete. Um, and so, you know, those different types of things play into it, but I, I think that's something that we've done. And then quite honestly, um, you know, what we've always tried to do at Parkside is just surround our players with good people. You know, I mean, I, I look back and, you know, in 19 years, you, you know, you definitely make a mistake here or there. You, you sacrifice, uh, you know, a little bit of talent and for maybe a little less character. And it, it, in 19 years as a head coach, it's always come back to bite us. Every time we've tried to just 
go, okay, hey, maybe we can turn this kid's attitude around a little bit. You hardly ever do. But, um, you know, in the 19 years, that's probably a handful of guys that we've had. Otherwise, I one of the things I always tell recruits is we just, you're going to be around good people, you know, and I look at our roster right now and I'm really excited about next year and the years after, because we have a young group, but they're just great high character kids who, when you walk into the gym, it's fun to be around. And, um, you know, I think that's important. You know, when you look, when you, when you go back and you've been coaching as long as I have, and you know that like guys from our first recruiting class are still really good friends, you know, guys that came in together, um, guys are best mans in each other's wedding. You know, that that's, I think that's what some of the best parts of it is we don't have like a lot of philosophies. We don't, you know, put a lot of slogans on t-shirts or anything like that. But when I look back at the structure and discipline, we give these guys when they get there and surrounded them with really good people. Um, I think that's why they have a, a great experience when they play for us. At the end of the day, it's fundamentals. We keep it simple and that's how we you know, have ultimate greater success. All right. I'm going to get you out of here on a non-basketball related question. So if you could have, one superhero power, what would it be? And what would you do with it? <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting question. I, I'm not a big Marvel guy. So um, from a convenience standpoint, considering I don't have uh, boosters that have private jets that can fly me everywhere recruiting. I, I think I'd go with like Superman's ability to fly. So I could just, uh, you know, jump out my window and get to recruiting events. Uh, quickly and get home quickly instead of uh, three, four hour drives to the middle of nowhere in the winter. So uh, <laughs> could I, either that or uh, do any superheroes, are they able to go be invisible? Because sometimes when you're losing, I just like to, you know, disappear a little bit. So nobody's uh, taking out, getting after me. Maybe you could use both and you could be invisible on your drive home and go as fast as you wanted and the cops wouldn't. Catch you. <laughs> there you go. That, that'd be great to do. All right, Coach Regal, thanks for coming on the Hoop Nerds and sharing with us. You bet, Bill. Thanks for having me.